You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bible to Psalm 127. Last week we began a series called Shooting Straight on Parenting. And I've got to tell you, my children have been the best behaved this week. They've been in years. I think they got together and said, look, we all know dad's doing a parenting series and we don't want to be sermon illustrations. So we've got to get our act together for at least a few weeks here. So uh, actually, um, we're going to use all of them as sermon sermon illustrations today. Um, Seriously, uh, we're so grateful as parents that the church has surrounded our family and helped us do some parenting. At times, Andrea and I have to do some traveling. We have to leave our children behind. And and we have a collection of dear friends that kind of step in and become parents for our kids. And one of these uh, dear couples, it's, it's Brett and Erica Magnuson young couple. They came to our church a few years ago. They were newlyweds. They had nothing else to do. They had no kids. So they, they just volunteered. Uh, Erica's a pastor's kid. And she said, if you ever need anybody to watch your kids, just call us. And so we did. And so uh, at times when we would leave, uh, Brett and Erica would just move right into the house and take our place. And um, there was a particular time that this happened about oh, five or six years ago. Andrew and I got to our destination and then we got a text from one of our children that said something had happened to Brett and Erica and they wanted to let us know. Uh, this is what happened to Brett and Erica on that particular occasion. Um, they were gagged and bound actually by our children. How many of you um, are afraid when you leave your children with a babysitter? Because you're afraid of what will happen to the babysitter, right? That's kind of the way it is sometimes with our children. I asked my son, Scott, um, Scott, what did you learn from the sermon last week? Do you have this conversation with your kids around lunch, right? It's a little awkward when you're actually the kid of the pastor, but uh, it's a good question. So I asked Scott, Scott, what did the Lord show you in the sermon last week? And Scott said to me, he showed me that God is using me to build you, (laughs) right? That was it. That that was the, the lesson last week, really. Yeah, so we learned from Psalm 127 that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And God is not just using parents to build children, God is using children to build parents. We see it here in verse 1 of Psalm 127, read along with me, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to bed, eat, uh, uh, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. And so verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Then the key verse, verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So we found out there's all kinds of metaphors in this language here about parenting. And the first thing that we learned was that these 
His children are like arrows, right? Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. We as parents, we open our hand and God plops an arrow right down there in our hands. The only problem is the, ar the arrows that come into our hands are never quite this straight. They're broken, they're bent, they don't fly straight. So the job of a parent is to straighten the arrow. So it flies straight, sharpen the tip of the arrow so that when it arrives, it makes impact. And then one day we're gonna shoot these arrows, right? So it's our job to straighten the arrows as parents. And children are like these arrows. But there's another metaphor in here. Again, if you look at verse four, uh, children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. But then if, if that's true, then this is also true. Parents are like warriors in the hand of God. So we have these, these arrows, but the arrow is useless unless you have one of these. <laughs> one of those right there. So here's the deal. As a, if you are a parent, you are a warrior in the hand of God. And one of these is useless without one of those arrows, but you put those two together and now there is some weaponry, there is some arsenal that God can use in this war. You, if you are a parent, are a warrior in the hand of God. But what's so interesting about that is there's so many parents who are oblivious that there's a war going on. Parenting is war. Some of you are like, you didn't have to tell me that. You show up in my home, you'll see it for sure. No, no, listen, it's important that you identify who the enemy is. Your children are not the enemy. Your children are the weapons to be used against the enemy. Parents are warriors in the hand of God. Children are arrows in the hand of parents. And so it's important that we understand there is a war going on. This is the language that's used all throughout the Bible, that our, our, our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and rulers in the spiritual realm. You say, this kind of sounds like a horror movie. If you're not winning, it will feel like a horror movie, okay? So understand this. Our adversary, his name is Satan. The name Satan actually means adversary. And we read throughout the Bible about this war that God has placed parents and children in the middle of. It is a war between truth and lies. It's a war between good and evil. It's a war between darkness and light. And you, you as a parent are in the middle of this battlefield. Satan originally was not the enemy of God. If we read correctly in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, we read this story about this, this angel. He was a created being. His name was Lucifer. He was the original worship leader. I'm not implying anything about Micah at this particular point, but Satan was originally a worship leader in heaven. He got tired of directing all the attention to God. He's like, I would like a little glory around here myself. So he got filled with pride and he's like, I want to be like God. And he declared war on God. 
And he was so influential that he was able to influence a third of the angels to join him in his war against God. God kicked him out of heaven. And do you know what Satan is doing today? He's doing the same thing he was doing on the day he was kicked out of heaven. He is declaring a war against God. He is leading a rebellion against God, and he is trying to take you and your children with him. Parenting is war, and you are a warrior in the hand of God. Your children are like arrows in this battle. Now, we know how the story ends. The victory is already secured. We've already sung about it this morning. Who can stand against the Lord God Almighty? We know how this thing is going to end. And yet, we live in the midst of this battleground. And it is a battle for the heart of our children. So parents, your enemy is not your child. Your child is a prisoner of war. And our job as parents is to rescue them and liberate them and get them fighting on the right side. A parent is a weaponized Christian. If you can get your, if you can fight for your children, eventually you can fight with your children. Let's put it this way. Godly parents fight for their kids so that one day they can fight alongside of their kids. And so the battleground is for the heart of my children. First Peter chapter 5 says to parents, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. A lot of times we read that kind of selfishly. As a parent, you need to read that like a warrior and be watchful because the devil is seeking to devour the hearts of your children. And then verse 9 is a great promise. Resist him. Get in the game. Resist him and stand firm in your faith. He will flee from you. That's the promise we have of scripture. So my children are not my enemy. Godly parents fight for their children so that one day they can fight alongside of their children. So how do we fight? I want you to continue to read here in Psalm 128. Psalm 127 flows right into Psalm 28. They both have the same theme. Separate Psalms, but same subject. Notice verse 1 of Psalm 128. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. All in favor of verses 1 and 2 being applied to your family, your children. You want your children to be blessed? Yeah. You want your life to look like that? He's like, I don't want it to look like a war. I want it to look like a blessing. He goes on, verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Now we're talking about grandparenting. 
peace be upon Israel. Isn't that a great encouraging verse? That is the testimony of a good fight, who has a good fighter who's won the war, a good warrior who's fought and won the fight. So this first verse says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now, as a goal of a parent, is there anybody in here that doesn't want your children to be blessed? Like, isn't that what you're fighting for? I want my children to be, how many of you want your children to be blessed? I mean, just, that's your goal, right? How many of you wish your parents wanted their children to be blessed? Oh, yeah, I didn't really get that parent. Well, here we are. You're going to understand something about your, your, your life and why you're so jacked up the way you are. It, a lot of it had to do with your parents, okay? So here, the goal of every parent is simple. It's simple, simple, simple. Job description. What is it? I want my children to fear the Lord. And I want my children to walk in the ways of the Lord. There's your goal. So how do you get that done? Well, in order to learn how to get that done as a parent, you have to turn over to the New Testament. And probably the most famous verse in the New Testament on the job description of a parent is in Ephesians 6, verse 4. And interestingly, it's addressed to fathers. Let me just say this as a side note. There are some men in here that think that parenting is women's work. Did you know that if you read the Bible, almost every parenting verse is written to fathers? Parenting is a man's job. Of course, we need mothers. Of course, we need to work together. We complement one another. A lot of times, we kind of need the truth and the grace that goes with masculinity and femininity. And together, a parent, a, a child gets a, a complete human being to help him in his life. But notice, this verse is addressed to fathers, and it cautions us against doing what fathers do when they are out of balance in their parenting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What provokes children to anger? Angry fathers. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. But do these two things. Bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want you to look at how these two verses parallel one another. If my goal as a parent is that my children would fear the Lord, what is my strategy for developing the fear of the Lord in my children? It's discipline. And if my goal is that my children walk in the ways of the Lord, what is my strategy? It's to instruct them. So I have two strategies, discipline, instruction, to accomplish two goals, the fear of the Lord and walking in the ways of the Lord in my children. We can say it like this. Children learn to walk in the ways of the Lord through a parent's instruction. Now, this has to do with verbally instructing them on everything from how to keep the baby food in your mouth and not spit it out, how not to throw the juice bottle across the room at your sister. Don't do that. Everything from that to here's how you tie a shoe Here's how you make some money. Here's how you save some money. Here's how you spend money on things that are of value. Here's the way that we pray. Here's the way that we obey. 
Here's the way we please the Lord. So my instruction is my strategy to help my children walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, what does Psalm 128 verse 1 tell us is the result of walking in the ways of the Lord. What's the word? Blessed. That's what we all want. If I want my children to be blessed, they have to walk in the ways of the Lord. If they're going to walk in the ways of the Lord, they're going to need a parent to instruct them how to do that. Children learn to walk in the ways of the Lord through a parent's instruction. Secondly, children learn to fear the Lord through a parent's discipline. What's the result if my children fear the Lord? They get blessed. I want my children to be blessed. You have to fear the Lord. How do I get you to fear the Lord? Through a parent's loving discipline, instruction and discipline. Let's put it this way here. Let me show you, show you one other verse here. This one's going to freak you out. Can you handle it? Put your seatbelt on. Don't start a protest until you completely understand what you're protesting. Okay? Here's the verse. Proverbs 13, 24 says this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Now, let me just kind of ask you to set that on the shelf for a little bit. Uh, come back next week. We will talk about the rod. Okay, don't want to get into all that right now, but I do want you to notice the second part of the verse. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And do you see these two words? Love and discipline. He who loves him disciplines him. Some of you would say, oh, I just love my little sweetie so much. I could just never dream of telling them no. I, I just, they want it. They, they say they need it. I have to give it to them because I love him so much. And, and you would never think of telling a child no or saying, no, that's enough, or you can't have that. It's not good for you, or you need to stay within this boundary. You, I know everybody else is doing it. You can't do it, and you did it, so here's a consequence. Some of you say, I could never. I love him so much. I just can't give him consequences. Look at the verse, folks. Your problem is not that you love him too much. Your problem is you love him too little. You're not thinking about his future. You're not thinking about the eternal pain that he's going to live in. If you are not willing to love him enough to give him a temporary supply of pain to correct his behavior, that's loving discipline. So how are you doing with discipline? How are you doing with love? Let's kind of measure those a little bit. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Let's talk about those two words, in balance, because this is the biggest problem. We, we don't get the balance right. We love them some days. We don't love them other days. We discipline them some days. We don't discipline them other days. Some days we don't love them or discipline them. We just wish them out of existence, right? <laughs> so how do we do this as parents? Let's, let's use the analogy of the arrows again. And uh, let's say that this arrow represents love, okay? Now, what if, um, what if we did a little survey? We won't do this, but let's say we did a little survey, and we somehow were to able to measure the degree of your love for your child from zero to 100. 
Maybe we ask your child some questions and somehow you got a score from zero to 100 on the love scale. All right, just think about where that would be. And then let's use this arrow to um, grade your discipline. All right, somehow we were able to survey your children. We got an accurate measurement of your degree of discipline from zero discipline to 100%. All right, now again, we, we rarely get this right, but let's chart it a little bit here because I believe you can put every parent into one of four categories by measuring the degree of love and the degree of discipline. Remember, he who loves his child disciplines him. Now, let me just say as we get into this, of these four different types of parents, you're going to see your parents on this chart somewhere. And it's a lot easier to see your parents than it is to see you as a parent on the chart. You might need to have a conversation with your kid like, which one of these four categories am I most off, often operating in? And on the scale of zero to 100 love, zero to 100 discipline, now they probably lie on the discipline. Oh, you're doing great on the discipline. You know, it's like, you could back off that a little bit and still be great. So, you know, it's, it's an imperfect science, okay? But uh, the Holy Spirit will, will get it right for you, okay? So they'll say, oh, we don't need a lot more love and a little less discipline. You'd be awesome. All right, so, they, and then, then, yeah, that's not great. So let's, let's talk about this. On any given day, you will find me in any one of the four categories, okay? I forget the gospel. I drift into the wrong category, and the same for you. But let's chart it this way and um, use this little scale here. The first type of parent would be what we would call a neglectful parent. This is a parent who has a low degree of love and a low degree of discipline. Now, for each one of these four categories, you can find biblical examples, all right? There's a lot of different examples for this one. Let's just use one. Do you remember the Old Testament character named Lot? He was the nephew of Abraham. Crazy character in the Old Testament, okay? It's really hard to categorize, really hard to figure out. In, in the New Testament, it calls him a righteous man, but then there's, you don't see a whole lot of righteousness in the Old Testament. So he, here's what we learn about Lot. There was an occasion where he separated from Abraham. Abraham went the right direction, and it, the Bible says that Lot went down to Sodom. Okay, this would be like a weekend in Las Vegas, all right? This is like, find the worst place, worst influence, red light district, that's where Lot decided, I think I would fit in great there, and I'm going to move my family there. So he takes his children, and he sets up a house in, in Sodom, wicked city. And there's this really crazy story about how God sends two angels as messengers to deliver a message to Lot. And they appear in human form, and Lot invites them into his home to spend the night. Now, as they're in the home enjoying dinner, the men of the city of Sodom, does everybody generally know what the men of the city of Sodom are famous for? Okay, they come and they bang on Lot's door and they said, we want you to send those two men out to us so that we can have sexual relationships with them. Yeah, it's, it's like getting into like PG R-rated stuff here. And so this is what Lot does. Lot says, no, don't do that. That would be so bad. Don't do that. We do, do not do that. But here, you can have my two daughters and you can do whatever you want to with them. 
What? <laughs> Lot, are you out of your mind? You, you're going to sacrifice the moral purity of your daughters so that you can continue your dinner party on the inside. What are you talking about? Now, I don't know about you as a dad. You show up and you want to mess around with one of my daughters over my dead body or you get into them. But this is a public service announcement in church this morning, okay? All the dads with me on that? Are you, you want to fight? You want to talk about a warrior? You're going to see the warrior come out at that point, okay? But not Lot. No, here's my two daughters. Whatever you want to do with them is fine. Just, you know, just kind of leave me alone. And yet, how often is that indicative of our parenting? What, what does a, a neglectful parent do? Well, he, he has no regard for the protection of his children. He has no regard for the direction of his children. He doesn't set boundaries. He wishes he'd never had these children. He goes on with his career. He goes on with his ministry. He goes on with so many other things. His fantasy football league takes precedent over the responsibility that God has given him for his children. He doesn't teach his children about God. He doesn't warn them of the dangers of sin. He doesn't, he doesn't teach God. He doesn't teach the children of the ways of God or the fear of God. He doesn't take his children to church. He doesn't read the Bible with them. He doesn't teach them how to respect authority. He doesn't teach the sons how to respect women. And he doesn't teach his children how to forgive those when they're disrespected by others. He's a neglectful parent. What impact does that have on a kid? Well, it creates a very vulnerable kid. That parent forces his children to learn life from YouTube videos or from iTunes or from the movie theater or from Netflix. And so they learn things that are not true because the parent wasn't there with a high degree of love and a high degree of discipline. Every one of these parenting styles exposes an idol in the heart of a parent. Do you know what the idol is in the heart of this parent? It's the idol of comfort. They would rather sit on the couch. They would rather read their Facebook post on their phone to, rather than to engage the face of their child. They would rather go on in their career making money and stacking up trophies rather than going to war for the heart of their kid. It's a neglectful parent. This week I was reading a, um, an article that came out by a young lady named Lisa Brennan. There's a book coming out next month. Lisa Brennan is the biological daughter of Steve Jobs. Does everybody know who Steve Jobs is? If you don't, just Google it on your iPhone. You'll figure it out. <laughs> so, when Steve was 23 years old, he had a one-night stand. The girl got pregnant, and this baby named Lisa was born. Steve Jobs never took responsibility for her. As a matter of fact, he denied that she was his biological child until DNA tests proved that he was the father. He refused to pay child support until the mother took him to court and he settled in that court that he would agree to pay $385 a month 
toward Lisa's child support until she was 18 years old. That court case settled four days before Apple went public. Four days later, Steve Jobs was worth $200 million. But he quickly settled that case so that he would be paying $385 for her. Every now and then he would show up and engage Lisa. Actually, before the, the release of the first Macintosh computer, he released another computer and he named it Lisa. And Lisa was always wondering, was that named after me? So one day, he, she asked him, did you name that after me? No, 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 it had nothing to do with you. He didn't want to attach any responsibility to that child. Until one day, actually he took Lisa on a week-long trip to Europe and they ended up at a dinner party with Bono. And Bono asked Steve, hey, that first computer, did you name that after Lisa? And he turned to Bono and said, yeah, it's named after her. And she turned to Bono and said, he's never said that before. He refused to take responsibility. It was a neglectful parent. Now listen, no matter what other accomplishments you may achieve, if you have not fought for the heart of your kid, you have failed as a parent. And we all on given days fail and fall into this category. We don't wanna stay there. Now some of you just saw me describe your mom or your dad. And there maybe need to be a heart of grace and forgiveness even at this point so that you can become a better parent than your mom or your dad. Here's the second category. We'll call this one an authoritarian parent. Some of you are going, man, that kind of sounds like a great parent compared to the one I had. You talk about low in love. Yeah, they were low in love, but they also had an extremely high perspective toward discipline. Now, there's a biblical example. There's a lot of biblical examples of this, but let's just take one. How about King Saul in the Old Testament? Remember this guy? He had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan became best friends with Saul's adversary, David. And one day, Saul's anger in 1 Samuel 20, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother? Like he's throwing his mother under the bus for even having this kid. And he shames him and he belittles him in an effort to control him. That's an authoritarian parent. Story goes on. It says one day Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. He dodged it. But then it says, Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger. Angry child, why? Because he's raised by an angry dad, an authoritarian dad. And it says he was grieved because his father had disgraced him. Discipline without love is disgraceful to a child. What impact does that have on a kid? The kid grows up with a lack of respect for that parent. That kid grows up wanting everything that that parent didn't want and rejecting everything that parent loved, including God and church. He begins to fight. 
He's angry and controlling himself. He's a bully at school. And eventually he runs as far as he can, as fast as he can, as soon as he can away from his parents. What is the idol that an authoritarian parent bows down to? It's the idol of control. There is such a deep sense of insecurity in the heart of that parent, he cannot fathom losing control. And so he pretends to be more powerful than he actually is. And because he has not become respectable, he maintains control by being disrespectful to a child. Some of you are like, man, that describes my home. I don't wanna be like that. I'm gonna cut my kids some slack. Now be careful, be careful. You'll react so far. If you grew up in an authoritarian home, you're in danger of becoming a permissive parent. What's a permissive parent? Well, this is a parent that loves his kids, sure, love my kids so much, but is low in discipline. There's a biblical example of this. In the Old Testament, there's this priest named Eli. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says that Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Don't find many Hophni's or Phinehas show up in the baby nursery. You don't want to name your, your kid Hophni, for sure. Um, because this is what the Bible has to say about Eli's two sons. 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Really don't want God to say that about my kids. Worthless? Really, God? Just absolutely worthless. Yep, that's what it says. Why? Because they did not know the Lord. Now remember, Eli's a priest. He lives in the place of worship. All day long, he's offering sacrifices, going through the motions of religion, going through the motions of worship. His kids were saturated with Bible. His kids were saturated with church, with the place of worship, and it says they were worthless, they didn't know the Lord, which proves dragging your children to church is not enough. Sometimes people get upset, like, man, that youth pastor down there at that church, my kids are so out of control, he's got a problem. Listen, you expect the youth pastor to do in an hour to undo in an hour what you did in 167 hours in the week? The scripture continues. It says, the sin of these young men was very great in the sight of the Lord and the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. It goes on, God confronts Eli, the father, and says this, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and, listen, honor your son's above me, permissive parent. I mean, he thought that just by loving them and giving them an atmosphere that was healthy, but not correcting, not disciplining, not confronting sinful behavior. It's a permissive parent, and a permissive parent mistakenly believes that love is enough or that church is enough. This parent doesn't like confrontation. He doesn't give clear expectations or clear boundaries or limitations. And maybe he gives some verbal instruction, but doesn't follow that up by taking actions to correct or to discipline disobedience. What's the impact on that kid? That parent raises a self-indulgent, 
entitled kid who thinks that every time he meets resistance, he's a victim. And so he's learned to argue and manipulate and control his parents. He won't work. He won't accept responsibility. And he's learned that if he screams loud enough and demands long enough, his parents will actually obey him. That's what a permissive parent produces in the home. What's the idol of this parent? A permissive parent worships the idol of approval. He wants his child's approval. He wants to be the child's friend. But the child needs a parent. And if the parent will parent, he'll wake up one day and realize, I have a new friend. It's called an adult who now is a friend because he had a parent at a season of life. Now, there's one other category here. This is obviously the category we want to be. What happens when you have a high degree of love and embrace a high degree of discipline? Then you're a gospel-centered parent. Is there an example of this in the Bible? Yeah, maybe you've heard of him. His name is God. Father, Jesus taught us to pray. Father, we're to operate as little children, and He is our heavenly Father. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. It says, see it, gaze upon it, study it. So what kind of Father is God? Does God have any rules? Yeah. Does God ever discipline? Yeah. Does God have grace? Yes. Does he love unconditionally even when I am at my worst? Yes. Does he ever retreat? No. He pursues. He breaks down my resistance. He wins my heart. And most of all, he sets the example for me to follow. That's a gospel-centered parent. A gospel-centered parent gives unconditional, sacrificial love, overcoming the resistance and the rebellion in the heart of their children. He reaches the heart of his children, not just concerned with external behavior, but changing the heart. And we know this is something only the Lord can do. And so he clearly communicates the way of blessing. What is the way of blessing? You got to fear the Lord, and you have to walk in the ways of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's not something that motivates me to run from Him. The fear of the Lord is the awareness that if I am not in right relationship with the Lord, then I'm going to be held accountable. And the consequences of sin are severe unless I am forgiven, unless I have a substitute who takes what I justly deserve. So the fear of the Lord gives me the appreciation to walk in the ways of the Lord because I don't want the consequences of living without the Lord. That's the message of a gospel-centered parent. He lovingly disciplines. And when he is wrong, when he falls into one of the other categories, you know what a gospel-centered parent does? He humbles himself. He goes and seeks forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? I was not a very good picture of of a loving father to you. Please forgive me. He forgives and he's gracious to welcome a child back when he repents. One of the greatest pictures of Father God we have is 
The father in the story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal son returned, the father raced to him. He took the initiative to welcome him back. He desires relationship eternally with his children, not just as a son or daughter, but as a brother or sister in Christ. What impact does that have on the heart of a child? Well, he learns the fear of the Lord. He learns that God is watching him even when a parent is not. And he learns to walk in the ways of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon put it this way. Here's a good gospel-centered parent. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. It's simple. God gives a child a father so that through the commands of the father, it will act as a lamp in the dark places in a child's heart. And God gives a child a mother so that the mother's teaching and the instruction can shine light on the dark places in a child's heart. And it's the reproofs, the correction. I love you enough to tell you you are wrong. I love you enough to show you there's pain in what you're doing so that you don't end up with eternal pain. I want you to live the way of life rather than the way of death. That is the battle cry of a parent who is like a warrior battling for a child's heart. Now, I want us to stand together. I'd like you to bow your heads. I know some of you here, you don't have children. And yet, for some of you, you just saw yourself as a child growing up in your father's home, in your mother's home. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And maybe the step of action for you today is just simply to release, to forgive, a neglectful parent, an authoritarian parent, maybe even a permissive parent. And then if you do have children, would you ask the Lord to make you a reflection of Him as a loving Heavenly Father? you embrace your role as a warrior. There is a war for the hearts of your children. Ask God to give you the courage to love them, to discipline them, no matter what category you find yourself in, to this week become a gospel-centered parent. Lord, I pray that for all of us parents today, that we would reflect the grace and the truth to get the balance right and that you would use even our imperfect parenting to shine a light in the dark places of our kids' heart. Lord, we recognize unless you build the house, we labor in vain. You're trying to build it. So God, do what we, can, we cannot do. Do what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name.